Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome in, it's Balloon Party. Yes, yes. Driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura, Alton, Toyota, Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Jackson, I'm inside. I'm excited for today's show. How do you feel about that? I'm excited too, Tim. High pitch, don't believe you. What's on your mind? Let's talk it out. Are you getting nervous? You're three nights away from spending the night in the same bed as Lisa Ann. Is that what's on your mind? Or are you concerned that Missouri shot lights out and still almost lingered? Uh, no, that is not my concern in the slightest. Uh, Ole Miss was never in that game. Um, no, I'm not. I'm excited. I really am because you know you look at the weather outside. It's cold, snowy. Uh, I got some snow fell in my car while snow I was snow fell. Would you have top down on your LeBaron? No, uh, when I was opening the door to my car, some snow fell into it. So I drove here, and now my my tush was wet. And Your so, thoughts on Jackson's Tush, 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service Tax Line. Darren yeah. Pang with us at 1045. So now we're going to be going to like 88-degree weather with uh, that nice sea breeze coming oh, in. Oh, sweet sea breeze. Yeah, so that will be, uh, be wonderful. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to this presentation. Yeah, uh, we uh, have a bunch of things to discuss, so I'm looking forward to uh, to getting into the conversation. Always enjoy the audience interaction as well. Use the 101 ESPN app to leave a mic drop. Jackson, what's the lead? You, you tell me the lead, and, and the thing is, is I think I'm good enough. Deep down, I know I'm good enough, but I, so I don't come off the wrong way. I think I'm good enough to be able to handle whichever direction you go, even if you go Lakers and Clippers. Right, which the Battle of L.A. is always a, uh, a fun discussion point. Well, but I what think... Tyron Lue is doing out there in that Battle of L.A. is unbelievable. Yeah, Clippers been dis- disappointing this year, but that is not the lead. That's uh, not the lead. Surprise! I know people are surprised hearing that, but it's not. Uh, the Tigers are not the lead. And then it goes down to two, and I think that a guy going into Cooperstown supersedes a regular season right hockey choice. game. I, it's at, not... at this point, right. considering the set of circumstances with the Blues, in which I think a lot of people have sold their stock. Now, i got to be honest, because I talk about a lot of my live bets that hit. Mm. Last night down 4-3, to three, I live bet the Blues. And... and it didn't work out. I would do it again. They had a variety of great opportunities, Tarasenko in particular. And had they won that game, maybe the lead is different. Maybe you're feeling differently about the. Well, maybe you will be feeling differently. I don't know if you're feeling differently from a big picture perspective. But because they didn't and because the thing seems to be spiraling, Jeremy Rutherford was just on TMA and said 0% chance they make the playoffs. Yeah. 
I was surprised by that. I was this too. Jr. is not pulling any punches. Love to you know, I, I love, love that. Love the and it's not, But it's not takey. He's credible. Right. So it's not exactly. takey. Exactly. He's just like seeing, telling people what he sees. And... It's not Dan Orlowski on Monday on ESPN saying Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL, but Joe Burrow is the best quarterback. And you go, what in the hell? Yeah, that's uh, is Mahomes like lining up at middle linebacker occasionally. Russell Crowe, beautiful mind gif right there. <laughs> uh, so Scott Rowland going into the Hall of Fame. Jackson, your reaction? It's awesome. Uh, player that like you know for me, I always talk about 06, like the first year that I, I really remember sports. Like I can remember watching it, and so like it's kind of like I was born into Scott Rowland being the third baseman for the Cardinals, which was so awesome because on top of that, you had Albert Pujols, Jim Edmonds, Chris Carpenter. Yair Molina. And so, you know, you kind of get into the sport of baseball with Scott Rowland, who's one of the best third basemen ever. At third base, wearing a Cardinal uniform, so awesome to see. My favorite season of baseball is 2006, and uh, everything that he went through and the team went through, 83 wins and win the World Series. It's uh, it's really, really awesome to see Rowland and well-deserving Hall of Famer. So, I am thrilled uh, because I think of, and I think a lot of Cardinal fans who uh, are probably uh, just a little older than you who can recall the 2004 team view that as one of the best, if not the best, depending on your age, Cardinal teams ever, even though it didn't win the World Series. And he was part of the MV3 along with Albert Pools and Jim Edmonds. Right. Uh, so for him to go into the Hall of Fame, it's a tribute to that era of Cardinal baseball. Um, I'll be real straightforward with the audience. While I was watching him play, I didn't think that he would be in the Hall of Fame. But the definition of Hall of Famer and the metrics with which some of the voters cast their ballots have changed since 2004, 2005, 2006. And therefore, that defense gets a hell of a lot more value. Uh, his war is ninth highest in the history of the game, and he's at 70.2 if memory serves on that. You don't need to, to dig it up. But my my point being, um, the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame now, and I view him as being compromised health-wise from nearly the very beginning of his time in St. Louis, which then also, of course, means in his time in Toronto and when he finished off his career with four seasons in Cincinnati, speaks to just how great he could have been had he not had these variety of collisions, actually. Uh, The 2002 Cardinals, Jackson, a team that was not just physically compromised, but mentally and emotionally with the passing of Jack Buck in June, and then a week later, the passing of Daryl Kyle. That team was on a mission. And I think that team truly believed that it was going to win the World Series, and it was going to wind up being a 30-for-30 when Daryl Kyle passed. Andy Bennis had not been pitching. He came out of retirement and wound up starting Game 3 and winning it for the Cardinals against the Giants. But in the NLDS, the Cardinals, I was out there in Phoenix for the first two games, The Cardinals won both games, wound up sweeping the defending world champion Diamondbacks. But in one of those two games in Arizona, uh, Alex Cintron, kind of a random gentleman with the Diamondbacks, ran into Roland, and Roland was done. Uh, And so when the Cardinals played the Giants in the NLCS, the Cardinals were doing so with Miguel Cairo at third base. Nothing against Miguel Cairo. But Miguel Cairo, I'm sure, would be happy to acknowledge Scott Rowland was a better ball player. And so the Cardinals were not going at the Giants with their full 
artillery, sure. much less the fact that they had lost perhaps the captain of the team, even though I know people would say, well, Albert Pujols is a better ball player, Jim Edmonds is a better ball player. Daryl Kyle was truly a leader on that team, in particular, of course, for the pitching staff. And they had lost him just months earlier. And then Scott Rowland is out and Miguel Cairo's at third base. I think that team, you can't say a team would have won the World Series, but I bet the Cardinals' probability increases substantially if Scott Rowland is healthy. But then Scott Rowland ran into Hesop Choi, or Hesop Choi ran into Scott Rowland. And in 2006, when the Cardinals do win the World Series, Rowland actually was benched in the NLCS. He was slumping, and in a move in which when I was hosting a show with Jim Edmonds seven or eight years later, I recall saying to Edmonds, I said, one of my favorite moves that LaRusso made when he was managing your teams was when he benched Scott Rowland in the NLCS. Nothing personal against Rowland. It's just he was slumping, and you don't have the luxury of letting a guy get right like it's the middle of June. you got to win. And he put Scott Spezio in there. Spezio had a huge hit for the Cardinals. Uh, in Game 2 at Shea Stadium. They steal that game from the Mets, and in turn, they wind up winning that series. They lose that game. They don't win that series. They're down 2-0, heading back to St. Louis. And and Edmonds goes, you like that move, huh? And I go, loved it. One of my favorites. He goes, just so you know, uh, Tony nearly lost the clubhouse when he did that. Guys were so pissed off about it. And that shows the respect for his ability and for the way he went about it that Scott Rowland had, that even when he was slumping. And then to his credit, had David Eckstein not had the World Series that he had, Scott Rowland would have been the MVP of the 2006 World Series. So he was benched, and then he bounced back. So Scott Rowland's time in St. Louis was great. Had he been healthy, it would have been even better And then, of course, therefore, we talk about how high his wins above replacement is. Imagine what it would have been if he doesn't run into or Alex Cintron doesn't run into him in 2002, if Hesop Choi doesn't run into him, I think that was 2003, um, and the other nagging injuries that really plagued him for the remainder of his career. So I love that he's getting in because I love seeing defense appreciated. Randy Carricker and I were just talking in between our two shows, and I was curious because if Randy says something, I'm gonna I'm gonna yield to his knowledge. And I said, I'm curious, do you view it as if Roland's in, then Edmonds should be in? He goes, Absolutely. And I go, Oh, well, God bless. Because right. that's that's how I view it. Right. And and it's and again I want to reemphasize this isn't personal. This isn't because I have a, a friendship with Jim. It's not like we're hanging out or, you know, texting or anything like that right now. It's just we've been in business together and I've known him and hung out away from uh, the ballpark. So I know him, but it isn't, it isn't I'm not going to sit here and give my opinions based on, right. uh, I'm just going to shoot it to you straight. People like it, people don't like it, but, but I'm just like, what in the hell? Now, the circumstances in which Edmonds was off the ballot after just one year on the ballot, were totally different than when Roland went on the ballot. It was a jam-packed ballot. You had a number of guys who were making their debut, such as Ken Griffey, so automatically Edmonds gets compared to him. That's not going to be favorable. And then secondarily, you had a number of guys who that was their last chance to get in. And so when writers can only vote for 10 people, and that's the deal, and I don't know how many people know that, that's why he didn't stick around and get the 5%. What I think could wind up happening is down the road, he gets in. That's what I think could wind up happening. So this isn't a slight on Roland. 
It's just making the observation that if Scott Rollins and Jim Edmonds, who was a better offensive player, and the statistics back that up, uh, should be in. Because I think both of them, and I think most baseball historians would say this at Jackson, top five at their position defensively oh, yeah. in the history of the game, yeah. at least in the modern era. Sure. So from that standpoint, I think the MV3 will all wind up in Cooperstown. Your thoughts, 314-399-9646. One of the questions is what cap will Scott Rowland wear in the Hall of Fame? We'll play that for you on the other side of the commercial break. Darren Pang with us coming up at 1045. And uh, Jackson, you have a series of questions today for Wednesday, and that is called what? Today is the Wednesday. I'm, I'm trying to remember it, Tim. I wish I could remember it. it and now Tim is throwing. So he's throwing his water bottle. He made sure to secure it, though, which I is did. safety yeah. first. Well, pro move. Uh, Wednesday. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Hold on. I like Hold on. I got, I, got it. I got it. I got it. The Wednesday well of knowledge. Oh. Kind of like that. Yeah, not bad. All right, right? so that's coming your way as well. Uh, get involved. Your thoughts, 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service. Text line, leave a mic drop via the 101 ESPN app. This is Balloon Party, uh, powered by Munganass St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, Balloon Party, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Alton Toyota here on 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Darren Pang will join us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line coming up at 1045. Uh, a variety of discussions here on the program up until Panger joins us, which you are welcome to participate in. 314-399-9646. Uh, carrying over our discussion from the first segment on Scott Rowland getting elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, here is a question that I think some Cardinal fans are wondering as to which cap he will wear in Cooperstown. Here is Bob Costas talking it over with Scott Rowland last night. This is kind of a tough one, but you had a long stretch with the Phillies and then with the Cardinals. Have you thought about, as a new Hall of Famer, what cap you want on your plaque? You know, <laughs> yes, that's a hard one. Um, I think the best answer to that is I, I am a, in a very good spot of not having any idea what that – situation looks like. I don't know if it's recommended. So I'm so uneducated on it that I'm going to take some advice of, of I believe that Paul maybe recommends something, but th there are so many aspects of, of every organization, and especially the people in those organizations. That's the real thing. The people in the organizations are where you find your relationships and, and what you build on. And there's so many aspects, whether it's Philadelphia. I mean, I, I cut my teeth in Philadelphia. I learned how to play the game there. You Defensively, John Bukovic and, a, and a, bunch of, a bunch of things that I really learned the game there. And then I got an opportunity to go to St. Louis and, and play with a group that's just a whole nother level and, and move to and, and win world, a World Series and play in a World Series. And then, you know, moving, moving to Toronto, just a whole different game in the American League. You know, that was fantastic for, for me and my family and, and the, the relationships and people that I'm still friends with there. And then obviously finishing up with the Reds, I got to come home, so to speak, and my kids got to go to school. We commute back and forth and the people in the Reds clubhouse and my teammates all along the way are just, they're just fantastic human beings and fantastic people. So 
you know, for me right this second with all this going on to think about something that specific, I, I, I can't, and I'm so appreciative of every organization and all the teammates and, and the fan base. And, you know, it's just four incredible, incredible places that I'm very, very appreciative of. Scott Rowland last night on MLB Network with Bob Costas. Uh, Jackson, he spent seven years with the Phillies, six years with the Cardinals, four years with the Reds at the end of his career, and sandwiched in there uh, some time with the Toronto Blue Jays. But certainly that would be one that I think it's clear he would not go in with the Blue Jays cap. you got to put $100 down. What cap is Scott Rowland wearing? I will say he'll be wearing a Cardinal cap. Mm. You think about it, a World Series win – uh, sure, there wasn't, you know, I would, it was certainly, would you say the prime of his career would be in St. Louis? Even yes. If it, yeah, the prime of his career in St. Louis. The team, he was on with some of the players. We mentioned Jim Edmonds, the MV3, Edmonds and Albert and Yachty on top of that and Chris Carpenter. He's He was on some incredible teams with the Cardinals. He was a I, huge part of those. Yeah, exactly. So I think if I had to say maybe the Cardinals, there's two very prestigious organizations. I think the Cardinals edge it out a little bit over the Phillies. I'll say Scott Rowland wearing a Cardinal cap. I am I'm gonna say if I gotta bet, gotta bet, like I absolutely have to. It's tough because I could see either way. I'll go Cardinals, but I do wonder when he brings up the people in the organizations if he still has some frustration with the way things went down in St. Louis. Right. And uh, you know, he requested the trade. Uh he was not happy that he was benched in the NLCS, I told you. Um, and many in the team were not. And then whether it be relationship with Tony La Russa, or if that's just water under the bridge now, relationship with anybody in the organization beyond La Russa, the bringing up the people thing, I thought there might be some value into digging into that as he answers that question. In Philadelphia, I recall having this conversation with Roland at spring training, and I think it was in 2003 in Jupiter, just me and him, no cameras, no microphones. We were just BSing because I knew he kind of had a reputation in Philadelphia, which he then did not have in St. Louis, Toronto, or Cincinnati as being cantankerous and not necessarily easy to deal with. Not to say that he was a problem per se, but the media thing really bothered him. And I can't remember if it was, uh, and there might be some writers or TV people listening right now who covered him in St. Louis who can tell me. It was one way that he either really liked doing, uh, really liked, he hated doing print or he hated doing television interviews, but he was fine with doing the other. And I can't remember which one it was. I would think it would be television he would be on board with. Right, because they can't really, I don't want to say manipulate, but change what you said. So he had an issue with a writer in Philadelphia by the name of Bill Conlon, who has since passed, but it was brutal. And Roland and I meet us kind of lingering around for no reason. I'm sure security was getting ready to escort me off the premises. One late afternoon in 2003, I saw him coming off the field, and I just... We started talking, and uh, I, I asked him why he felt the way he did with regards to media and doing interviews. Not like, hey, man, how come you're not right. talking to me? But I'm, I'm, I just want to have an understanding of it. And he, and I'm paraphrasing, this is a conversation from 20 years ago, but uh, that he hated that you would sit down with somebody, give them an interview, tell your side of the story and or just answer the questions that you're asked and then the story that would come out come out 
that the public would read and most believe would not be representative of the conversation he would have with the writer. And that really bothered him. I mean, really bothered him. I don't know how he feels about it now, but at that time, it really bothered him. I can't imagine his experiences in St. Louis, Toronto, or Cincinnati were similar to Philadelphia. And that's not a Scott Rowland thing. That's just a market thing. So, uh, I mean, if you played for the Leafs, I'm sure plenty of Leafs players would tell you it's different. But the Blue Jays, I can't imagine they're really like locked in relative to what Philadelphia is with their sports right. teams and the way they're covered. 100%. So uh, that was something that stood out to me with Roland that he wouldn't have a, he didn't have a problem with the Phillies players or the fans. He had a problem with the Phillies media, but that's not representative of Philadelphia and the Phillies. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good point and something that, you know, it, it does, you kind of have to look into it because it's such a toss-up. I mean, and it's so much the players' individual feelings for each franchise and what they remember about being there. You know, if memories are bad or if more memories are bad than good, and I'm not saying that that's the case with Roland and St. Louis, but if there are some, that could put a dark cloud over what you think. And if that's the case, you know, that could influence it which decision you pick for which cap you're going to wear. So your thoughts on that topic are welcome. 314-399-9646. With regards to Edmonds and eventually getting in for that MV3 to all be in, because you know Albert Pools will be in, and now Scott Rowland's in, uh, Andrew Jones. uh, Jackson, do you say Andrew or do you say Andrew? Andrew. Okay. Spell with a U, but Uh, I say Andrew. uh, Is now at 58.1%, so he's trending. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Todd Helton is trending. Billy Wagner is trending. Uh, Helton's on his way. He's at 72.2% now. But Andrew or Andrew Jones, um, quite comparable to Edmonds. Yeah. Quite comparable to Edmonds. And he is moving in that direction. So when it's all said and done, I don't think people necessarily identify Larry Walker as a member of the Cardinals, although he was with the club in 04 and 05 to great teams, one pennant winner and one that lost in six games in the NLCS the following year to the Astros, uh, that you would then have the combination of Roland Pujols, Walker, and for sure, possibly Jim Edmonds at some point. At the very least, I think damn near everybody who's a baseball fan in baseball media would agree the fact that Jim Edmonds is only on the ballot for one year makes no sense. But the explanation is it was a loaded year. It was his first year on, and you can only vote for 10 guys at that time. And that was the way that it was, and so he was gone. I think he could wind up being in that Veterans Committee selection down the road, especially now that defense has more appreciation, I believe, by voters than it did at that time. All right. uh, Coming up, the Wednesday Well of Knowledge. Well of Knowledge with uh, Action Jackson posing questions. And uh, we'll be joined by Darren Pang talking about the Blues, the Sabres, the State of the Union. That's coming up at 1045. You are listening to Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you on the program. And uh, Darren Pang is going to be joining us on this radio presentation coming up in 10 minutes. Uh, Jackson, it's time for the Wednesday Well of Knowledge. Thank you. All right, what do we got? Uh, something we kind of talked about on TMA. Um, but CBS Sports wrote a column describing Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt as on track to be Hall of Famers. Do you agree with this? 
Do you think each of them need a World Series ring? All right, I will take uh, the first one first. I think both could wind up in. Nolan Arenado, I believe, will be in. Paul Goldschmidt is in the 54% probability at this moment. Mm -hmm. How do you feel, sir? Nolan Arenado, for sure. Uh, Goldie, I think, is on a really good track. Winning MVP last year was huge. Yeah. That was, I, that's that's correct. That was massive for his uh, resume. I think just being in St. Louis on competitive teams, because you know you're out there in Arizona, and it's not a huge baseball market. Anytime you're in the West Coast, if you're not in LA, San Diego, San Francisco, you're kind of leveraged in a sense. So getting to St. Louis on a con, you know contending baseball team gets him into you know the, the discussions of things. I think that another year or two, even eighty percent of what he did last year uh, puts him on. And if they get a World Series ring, I think he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. There you go. Action Jackson's got him in. All right. Next uh, question, we're going to dig back into the well. There's been a lot of conversation over the last few years about who the real engine of the uh, Patriots was. Was it Tom Brady? Was it Belichick? I asked you the same question, but about the Chiefs. Is it Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and all the weapons? Who's the straw that stirs the drink in Kansas City? Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes uh, would immediately make take your pick of whatever crap-ass team that you would consider to be one of the crappiest crap-ass teams. Uh, at the very least, a playoff contender. Yeah. And I don't believe that you can say the same thing about Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, and all due respect to Juju Smith-Schuster. Right, I'm talking about like the Bubbles. weapons over the past, like the Tyreek uh, Tyree Hill. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I was taking it from the current roster, but yeah, it's it's Patrick Mahomes, and yeah. and I and I put a period at the end of that sentence. That's I don't I don't see, but hey, listen, if you would like to dissent and present your case, uh, I, I I'll yield my time to the gentleman from Ladue. Thank you. Uh, so when I first wrote the question, obviously the first came, thing that came into my mind was Patrick Mahomes. I think it'd be tough to argue against that. Having said that, I think that the way that guys like Travis Kelsey and in the past Tyreek Hill and a number of other guys who have been weapons on that team understand Mahomes so well, because it's not necessarily easy for guys who, you know, they have routes, they have plays, and so often they get broken because of Patrick Mahomes' skill to understand and have that connection with the quarterback. So I don't think it's necessarily Andy Reid. I think the only argument could be guys like Travis Kelsey, because on third down, man, like if I could place bet, I'd be minus 400 that the target of that will be Travis Kelsey. And he he just delivers like almost every time, and he has such a good connection with Mahomes. He understands that a play's broken. I got to turn back to the ball and find the open spot. I think the answer is Patrick Mahomes, but I think the uh, the zag answer would be Travis Kelsey. Right. So therefore, the wrong answer would be Travis Kelsey because either there's there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. Well, it's so opinionated, but yeah, I think the right. It's your question. It's your question. This is the well of knowledge. It's it is the Piddle's well of knowledge. It is, it's the Piddle's well. No one else's well of knowledge. It's right. mine. And the well of knowledge says Patrick Mahomes, but you know what? I think Travis Kelsey's one of the best tight ends that's ever played the game. Oh yeah, top five for sure. I so, think. but I just I don't think that you put him on the Raiders no. and they go from being. I mean, look at Devontae Adams. Right. Yeah. But, so you, you need that piece to, and, oh, and Mahomes is just, he's the guy. Totally agree. But I think more so than any other sport. I'm text this question to Colonel Gabe DeArmond. Yeah. I, he's going to say Mahomes. Let's see what he's going to say here. Um, I think more so than any sport, the quarterback, and this isn't a hot take by any means, but the quarterback has the most impact on a, 
any sports position. Like the point guard doesn't have the same impact that the quarterback does. The catcher, pitcher, shortstop doesn't have the same impact. The center in hockey. I think that the quarterback so often is that guy. Um, so I think naturally you're going to gravitate towards a quarterback. Whereas like if Travis Kelsey got put on the Raiders, I think he'd still be good, but he does just have his position doesn't have the impact it could have as the quarterback has. I think we're spending too much time on an obvious answer. It's like, is Tim McKernan hot? Yes. I mean, what else are we going to do with it? Right. Yeah. I get, Actually, that's such a good comparison. Thank you. Uh, let's dig back into the well. Getting an early look at the lines this weekend, who do you like early in each AFC and NFC championship? All right. Uh, well, it depends on what book you're looking at right now. But it looks like it's two and a half for the NFC championship. Eagles minus two and a half. That's is that consistent saw. with what you're seeing? Yeah. And... Is this accurate that the Bengals are a favorite? I'm taking a look right now. The Bengals are minus one on what I'm seeing. How about that? I see minus one, minus one and a half. Yeah, I don't. Ah, man, that that line is obviously the most surprising of the two. It's um, but that bet is all about Patrick Mahomes. Right. It's totally dependent. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hurt last week, the Chiefs are probably in the two to four point range of a favorite. Yeah, I think it'd be the same line as the Niners Eagles. I think it's two, two and, and a half. half. Yeah. If if Mahomes doesn't get hurt, which I is think... really saying something because last week the Bengals went off as a four and a half or five point underdog in Buffalo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And that's see what I'm saying. Right. It's and... just a kind of a prisoner of the moment thing. I think that from my standpoint, with regards to the Bengals. What they're doing defensively yeah. Oh, yeah. is the story. It's not what's going to get attention, and certainly it's incredibly fun, whether you're a Bengals fan or not, to watch Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon and Samaji Piran and that offense. And then three of the five starting offensive linemen are out, and they come in, and they still are able to control the line of scrimmage like they did in Buffalo in those conditions. That's That's really impressive and to do that against that team how much of that was buffalo and how much of that was cincinnati i don't know i would imagine uh people will be uncomfortable giving points at arrowhead stadium i don't care who you are uh and i don't care the health of mahomes but this situation man that that is tough God, right now, I really don't. And unfortunately, the formula doesn't really give me anything on the AFC Championship. I'm sure you've already looked at it. Yeah, I think people would be hammering the Chiefs if they're getting a point at Arrowhead. It's just, it's it's pretty, no, no, the Bengals, the more money and more volume of bets currently per the Action Network is on Cincinnati. By a a healthy amount, by the way, 72% to 28%. Uh, And then it's overwhelming for the Eagles. Yeah, I think in, in Philly... I think, but they, I think San Francisco is such a good team. But if I'm adhering to the formula, I'm taking the Eagles. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Here's a stat for you, Tim. I'll take a stat. The 49ers have not allowed 70 plus rushing yards to a running back in 27 straight games. Wow! And the Eagles. I mean, sometimes you'll have a Miles Sanders day. Sometimes you'll have a Boston Scott day. Sometimes you have a Kenneth Gainwell day. Yeah. And that and that's a big part of their offense, so they can open it up downfield. God, I gotta tell you something, Jackson. I'm, I, 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 I don't know if I would bet it, but I really would take the the Forty Niners. I don't know how I'm gonna handle our Pick Six podcast, where I'm getting ready to close you out. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna hope that deal's still on the table. Yeah, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll have a nice little conversation after uh, the show. Yeah. By the way, Gabe Diarmid has immediately responded, uh, and uh, this is what the Colonel Gabe Diarmid of PowerMizzou.com. Uh, I, I screenshot your question to me. Uh, regarding 
what stirs the drink with the Chiefs. He said, uh, it's it's all of it. It's mostly Reed and Mahomes. Pat is better in Reed's offense than he'd be anywhere else, even though he's been really good anywhere. Reed's system works better with Pat than it's ever worked with anyone else, even though it was pretty good with McNabb, Vic, and Alex Smith. There you go. All right. So the colonel says it's all of it. All right. That's fair. That you know, wasn't really the... I kind of wanted a more specific answer from the colonel, but... I'm going to text him that Jackson is disappointed in your answer. Yeah. And maybe tweet about Mizzou when they're playing Alabama. You know, don't be tweeting about the Chiefs. Wow. <laughs> Just kidding, Gabe. I love you, Colonel. guest appearance by the colonel. Love Anything you. else in this well of knowledge? Yeah, I'm going to do one last one. It's a yep. quick one. Uh, yesterday on TMA, we discussed conspiracy theory documentaries. What sports conspiracy theory documentary would you love to see? Boy, this is one where I wish I would have looked at the well of knowledge in advance because I would love to give... I'll buy you some time and then give you I mean, my, it's, I don't. I, but it's, to me, this is not a conspiracy theory. What went on with the Rams leaving St. Right. Louis? Yeah. As far as a conspiracy theory goes... It doesn't necessarily what, what, Do you have any? Yeah, it's not. And this mine's less of a conspiracy theory. What's I just going on with the heat uniforms? No, but, you know, that's a... I, I could do that myself. Uh... Bill, the whole story of Bill Walton from UCLA to... I didn't even know there was a conspiracy theory it's around not, him. And that's why it's not really a conspiracy. It's just like his career, this guy who's supposed to herald his... Well, what's the conspiracy the, theory? Well, he didn't. He played like four games in a four-year stretch. Injuries left and right. He's kind of a partier. He's kind of an oddball off the court. Uh, the superstar at UCLA and just didn't really pan out in the NBA. I think there's a great story to tell. I think it'd actually be better as a movie than it would be as a documentary. Your question was asking for a conspiracy theory, and then you told me a feature you'd like. I know. That's, that's, this is what the well That's the first time in the history of this show, and it's a storied history, that I'm giving two water bottle tosses. And when this show is on YouTube, I can't even imagine how many people will be retweeting a clip of that, and I'll become the Dan Orlowski of St. Louis. It's going to yeah. be huge for me. Make it a football track. That was a good toss. Oh, I'm excited about it. Uh, so that was a great that was a great question, and then your answer didn't answer the question. It was like I was back at Hearn Center with Quinn Snyder. I uh, thought it was a great question, a great answer for myself. Well, I mean, it, I, I, sure, a Bill Walton feature would be nice if the question was, who would you like to see a feature on? But when the question was conspiracy theory, and then you give me a feature on Bill Walton, it doesn't seem like it fits the narr- fits the question. Right. Well, that's the why. And I was looking forward to your answer, considering you're the one who came up with the question. So I thought, oh, this will be good. Jackson has some ideas. And then you came up with a Walton 30 for 30. Uh, I'll I'll respond to that with a suggestion for listeners. The Malice the Palace documentary. Fascinating. But not a conspiracy theory. Uh, I I think it changed people's minds on it. Conspiracy theories are tough. If my water bottle were over here, I would throw it again. I really want conspiracy theories. I'll ask the audience then. That's what we'll do. There you go. What conspiracy theories? I mean, the Rams thing, but again, I don't know if that's conspiracy. That's that, that's that's a real thing. Right. Uh, I suppose drafts, draft yeah. lottery scans. 1984 the NBA draft comes to mind. Take your pick. Yeah, Patrick Ewing. People don't buy into those lotteries. Yeah, right. Um, I know some guys on the Cardinals in 2004 thought things were set up against them, against the Red Sox. Ooh. That was that was firsthand conversations I had in the clubhouse after game one at Fenway Park. I'm not saying that that was ever proven. They were probably right. just really pissed. Right. But they thought that that was just garbage umpiring that game. I don't really remember much about it. I would, plus, they had us out in right field in the annex. Yeah. And the fans from Southie, it was like I had 30 Will Huntings out there wanting to <laughs> kick my ass for just being in their spot while I a guy from Iowa somehow had a credential and was playing solitaire on his laptop, which infuriated the boys even more. 
We lost our seats, and this guy's playing solitaire. <laughs> All right, Darren Pang's going to join us next here on Balloon Party, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to talk blues hockey with Darren Pang. Holy jump and wow. what a save. Refreshed by Urban Chestnut Brewing Company and their Urban Underdog Lager. Prost. Welcome back to Balloon Party, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Tim McKernan with you to the top of the hour, and it is our pleasure to welcome you to the program live from Alberta, where per Jackson, Panger has better weather than St. Louis at the moment. That's what I Morning, Panger. Good morning there, uh, Tim and Jackson. Uh, yeah, I'm, now I'm a weather reporter now all of a sudden. Uh, well, yes, uh, uh, the winds are coming from the northeast here in Edmonton. It's Ooh. beautiful, brisk, uh, minus uh, 20, but <laughs> I'm walking out of my hotel room, and all I see are beautiful conditions on the road, a little bit of snow. I've got a wonderful hockey rink that's outside. Oh, it's got some beautiful boards and some netting, and nice. and that ice looks magnificent. Yes, it looks like there's some dogs walking right now, too. They're having a pee. That's a nice, that's a nice little update right there. So yeah, so I gather with the conditions, you won't be working on your short game today. No, I, I think the, the golf will be put on hold for today, but um, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm not highly motivated. You know, isn't it something every time now we turn on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, besides all the hockey that I watch, but man, when you start seeing that the waste management opens. Oh yes. Oh, yes. Hey, you see Torrey Pines, a, a place that I've played a few times. You go, now you get excited. I might even decide to work out really soon. Oh, like, wow. Myself a game shape. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah, it, so you, got a whole, you got a whole day lined up. Yeah, and Torrey Pines, by the way, is since we're both golf nerds, Torrey Pines starts today because they don't want to go up against the AFC-NFC Championship uh, on Sunday, so they go Wednesday through Saturday this week. There you go. Fun facts for no one to tell. Yeah. That is a good scoop there for you there, Peaky Blinders. <laughs> <laughs> I really do want that to be a promo. <laughs> that's the that's the first news I've ever broken in 22 years in St. Louis media. <laughs> when the, when fantastic. the that's a award winning. Oh my goodness, Darren Pang with us every Wednesday here on Balloon Party, driven by St. Louis Acura. It's Munganas, St. Louis and AltonToyota.com. Uh, wow, what a uh, situation last night in a variety of ways for the Blues as uh, they wind up losing to the Sabres five three. It starts out brutally with two quick goals. To the Blues' credit, after being down 4 nothing, they make a game of it and really have some great opportunities with Tarasenko with some really good looks in the third period. But unfortunately, from the Blues' perspective, not able to break through. And, uh, the Sabres get the empty netter, and that wraps things up. But I think the biggest story coming out of that one, Craig Berube, who usually kind of dodges Pareko questions, uh, you know, he demotes him to the third defensive pairing. He only plays 16 minutes last night and acknowledges that the play hasn't been where it needs to be. Uh, your thoughts on the festivities last night and Colton Pareko and Berube's comments, Panger? Yeah, I was I was flying here and uh, connecting in Denver, um, the the uh, the joys of uh, of that kind of travel. But yes. I was able to, to to watch the game, and uh, then when I came back to my hotel room, then I. You know, I watched uh, the important parts again, and um, let, let's start with a couple of things. Number one, you know, preparation for a hockey game. I think that's what's very disappointing. You can't keep starting these games by making triple bogeys and triple bogeys if we want to get, get yes, into the back golf. Back to the analogy. Like, it's, 
like it's hard to get back at it if you're if you're if you're going bogey double bogey bogey and think that you're going to make a whole bunch of birdies like it's not going to happen this and 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 a team like buffalo that played the night before in dallas a hard game that they played a hard travel for the buffalo sabers to come out and be as prepared as they were and to take and pick apart the middle of the ice like it was a july 1st summer hockey game that's what it looked like i mean it looked like they could just stick handle wherever they wanted to stick handle and no one was going to touch them. And uh, to, to me, that was extremely disappointing. I think I might've banged my iPad a couple of times and it fell down. And I was, I was, I was not saying holy jumping for the good of it. Yeah. I was like, come on, somebody like, let's protect the middle of the ice. The, the blues have talked about that all season long. And, and every time someone wants to rip apart the goaltending, I, I go, you've got to defend the middle of the ice. You've got to make it a hard place to play. And, and that's where it started in 2019. That's where every team starts around this time of year is to make it an impossible place to carry the puck and to make a play to. Or uh, worst case, the, that's the last place that you should be getting a quality shot from is the middle of the day. So number one, preparation. Whatever happened before that game, for, the, for them to think that it was going to be an easy game, they already played Buffalo and Buffalo. Buffalo did the same thing to them there because they weren't quite prepared for it. And so... You know, now you go into the, you know, you go into the defending part of the game and just the, I'm not sure if, you know, there's a lot of times where guys are, there's, I don't know, there's a lot of bugs going around. I don't know. It just looked like Colton's one of many that looked lethargic, that that looked like they just didn't have a real uh, crisp uh, thought process going out there. I mean, his, he was taking big loops and, Pucks that should have got in deep that are automatic, just you know, the, the, and it wasn't just Colton Preco. Now he's, he, you know, he's obviously got the magnifying glass on him right now, but you know, his his game, you know, wasn't very good in the middle of the ice. It wasn't very good in his own zone, and it wasn't very good even making decisions, getting pucks in deep in the neutral zone. So, I mean, those are disappointing aspects because right now you need those guys, especially when you know that Tory Krug's just returning after a long absence. That. You know the guys that that uh, that play the big minutes, the important minutes, have to be even better than than normal, and and so it didn't happen that way last night. So that, that's a real disappointing aspect of it, was just the lack of fundamentally lethargic. I think it was is maybe yeah. the best way to, to to put the early part of the game. So, and you're right, Vladdy did have some good chances late, but you know, and that's great. And one of them hit the knob of the stick, should have been in the net, but it wasn't. I mean, that's. That's what happens. You're, you're pressing, you're pressing, you're pressing. And yeah, you could say the good news is he got chances, but uh, boy, that's a guy that hasn't played in three, four, four and a half weeks either. And uh, uh, the boys needed way more than just that or a couple of hopeful opportunities late in the hockey. And that was very disappointing last night because you could have bounced back from a game against Chicago where you played a goaltender that's never played in the NHL before and he wins that game and come back and, and, and really – Beat a, I think Buffalo's a really good team. Even though they're not in the playoffs right now, I still think they're trending way north. I think they're an excellent team. And you could have pounded them last night and gone, okay, now we're back in track, back on track again. But, you know, now it's a real step backwards for, for the boys. And I don't know how they're going to muster the way out of this one. And that, that's, I want to ask a big picture question with regards to that seven game homestand that now comes to a conclusion with a losing record, started off with some momentum, getting that win against Calgary. And, and now it, it ends in a fizzle and also now no Buchnevich either as, uh, as things go forward here, leading into the all-star break, 
the macro perspective, the big picture perspective on where the team is. This was a critical seven-game stretch, and the Blues did not capitalize on this homestand. So then you go, well, what's next? So your analysis of of this moment in time for where the Blues are coming off the homestand and going uh, the direction it did. Well, well, macro and big picture is, you know, what what is going to happen come March 3rd. I think that's big picture, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, an opportunity to sell – your general manager and everybody in the hockey world on what kind of team you are going to be going forward. This was the opportunity. You can run the tables and you can afford to lose one game in that, in, in that sequence, but you have to get points in games. And now the same questions you're asking are the same questions everybody in the hockey world's asking, because I just went into a, a, a lounge area here at the hotel before I'm going to head over to the rink and, and the, and the, and the Columbus Blue Jackets announcers are there, and the first thing out of their mouths are, "What, what, what is going on with the Blues?" And so that's you know that's hap- that happens all over the place. Yeah. This was an opportunity to convince people, let alone yourself in the locker room, hey, that we're ready to make a turn, and there's going to be no other choices from our GM other than to maybe add to this team. Well, macro is what what is Army going to do, and and that's. You know, he can't be convinced after looking at that that this that this team is going forward and can beat the best teams in the league. Whereas I personally think when this team is playing well, I think every team in the Western Conference is afraid of playing the St. Louis Blues. I do. In a seven-game series, go down the list of teams because Colorado's been banged up. Yeah. Colorado is totally healthy, and they're going, okay, I get it. They're, they're the elite. They're the Stanley Cup champions, and they've got a different game. But you can't tell me go. You go down the list of every team in the in the Western Conference, from Winnipeg to to uh, Minnesota to to Dallas um, to Vegas to uh, L.A. They they don't want to play the Blues in the seven game series. But now after watching this, um, it's it's it's. I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure if I've got a great macro answer for you, other than the fact that you know that management staff's looking at this, going, okay, they didn't exactly convince us that we're not going to sell. So what, you know, so what does that leave? That leaves mm-hmm. making sure that when you're dealing with agents, so you got agents of five UFAs and you know, you're not close to getting a deal on in four of them. Well, what does that tell you in the big picture? That tells you that army's going to go, okay, well, that one's got to move and that one's got to move and that one's got to move and that one's got to move. Cause we're going to have to get assets coming back. If we're not even close to signing them as UFAs, yeah, there uh, there's going to be some major moves and decisions, I would imagine, here over the next six weeks. Darren Pang with us, Blues at Coyotes pregame, seven p.m. tomorrow, right here on 101 ESPN. Panger in yes. Edmonton. Uh, Panger, always enjoy the conversation, and uh, don't forget, you got Tory Pines today to enjoy if you have any downtime. I, I can't wait to watch that. I got a game tonight. I'll watch that this afternoon, and I'll be in Phoenix tomorrow to watch from Mullet Arena. I might go get myself a mullet. Oh, nice. That would look <laughs> so great. good. Yeah, that would be real good. Panger, it? appreciate it, man. Okay, guys, take care. Take it nice, easy. Man. It's Darren Pang with us here. Time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrario are up next for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.